Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Lauren Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conlin. It was a super fun week in New York City. It was the Tribeca Film Festival, and I covered three movies this year. I didn't get to go to a ton of carpets. Um, I just, I don't know. The carpets are so busy for Tribeca. It's really hard to get interviews sometimes, and it's just kind of um, a shit show, excuse my language. But um, anyway, I will be covering one of the films on this podcast today. It's a docuseries. It's called The Fourth Wall, and the other two films I covered, The Black and Blood for Dust, you can head over to popstyletv.com to see information and some video clips and interviews about those movies. So, um, okay, so for today's episode, yes, we are going to discuss the fourth wall um, for the first part of the podcast. And then the second part of the podcast, I have an interview with actor David Rasha, who is best known for his role as Carl in Succession. And um, he is promoting the movie About My Father with Sebastian Maniscalco, where he plays um, Sebastian's in-law, his his rich father-in-law. So, and David is just, oh my gosh, he's just so fabulous. But anyway, let's get to the fourth wall. So I did a round table at the film festival and it was so interesting. Um, I had watched the fourth wall, um, the, the first episode of the docuseries and I was blown away. Number one, because I had no idea that a cult like this was in upper Manhattan. I mean, pretty much 20 blocks from my kid's school. It was kind of crazy. Um, and second of all, it was surreal to be sitting with the filmmakers and the subjects. And when I say the filmmakers, I do mean the director of the docuseries, but also Keith Newton, whose father was the leader of the cult, um, Saul Newton. And Keith obviously was the brains behind this film. He, um, he, <laughs> Gosh, he's been working on this for for 10 years, he said. And I was just like, uh, uh, my my head was spinning. Um, So it's interesting because, you know, society today does seem to have a fascination with cults. I watched the um, Sarah Lawrence sex cult documentary on Hulu, and that shocked me. But this just is on another level. So... This cult was formed in the very, very late 1950s and lasted up until 1991 when its leader, Saul Newton, passed away. So like I said before, it was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and cult members were referred to as the Sullivanians because the cult was initially called the Sullivan Institute. So at one point, I believe there were about 600 members um, and... I, it's like, so I'm, I'm saying this from what I've researched. Uh, so just, you know, do some research on your own, but they were, most of the members were living across a few different apartments on the Upper West Side. And it was essentially a psychotherapy sex cult. So Saul Newton taught the members 
uh, through copious amounts of gaslighting and quote-unquote therapy that the traditional family structure was the root of all evil and, you know, your mom is evil and you should just not have a traditional family. So (laughs) these members were forced to share their spouses, share their children. I mean, when women wanted to get pregnant, they had to ask permission and then they had to sleep with pretty much every male, um, you know, in the cult or multiple male members, just so everybody could sort of feel like the father of your baby. And um, if you questioned this, you'd pay and so would your children. So it was very well known that the leadership kids got treated better than the other kids. And I do think they get into that in the docuseries as it, um, you know, as you watch more episodes. Again, I only watched episode one, but I was like, wow. So episode one premiered um, of The Fourth Wall. That's what the docuseries is called. It premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival last week. And um, Keith Newton, he was just amazing. I mean, I only had a short time with him at this roundtable, but you know, he seems to be a really intelligent, strong person with a solid outlook on everything. And to me, that was pretty incredible because of how he grew up. His upbringing was just very, I guess, strange to me because I did not grow up in a cult, but um, he seems to be super well adjusted for everything that happened. And you know what? Let me just say, so did everybody else at this round table. Very well adjusted, very much, you know, I could feel in some of the uh, members who were a bit older and they didn't grow up in the cult as children, they, you know, made the decision to to be a part of this. I could sort of feel and sense some of their shame, which kind of made me sad. Um, but, but you know, they, they all are friends and they all get along really well. And a lot of them wrote books and um, really have just had a lot of time to think about what this did to them and, you know, how they are better because of it. So... I want to read to you a little bit more about the Sullivan Institute because the New Yorker published an article on Jude 14th. Jessica Winters was the author, and I've linked it out in the episode notes, but I just want to read you a little um, piece of this. Quote, The exact appeal of a cult can be impenetrable to outsiders and even its ex-members, but in the 60s and 70s, the Sylvanian Institute had a winning sales pitch for young New Yorkers. Parties, sex, low rent, and affordable therapy. Therapists at the Institute were also willing to write letters to the draft board on behalf of patients who were, quote-unquote, psychologically unfit to serve in the war in Vietnam, a powerful recruitment tool for the group. Everyone was friends with everyone else, dozens of young people in a handful of nearby buildings, in and out of one another's apartments, playing music, having parties, The novelist, Richard Price, who was a creative writing student at Columbia when he became involved in the group in 1972, said, It felt to me like this is just add water and it's instant friends. And, you know, girls are going in and out. It's an instant sex life. And then Price went on to say, It's like somebody opened the gates of heaven. And, as in many places mistaken for heaven, the guy at the top mistook himself for God. Newton's bulldozing megalomania helped to secure the Sylvanian Institute's initial success, but also ensured its collapse. By the 1980s, 
Newton and his top therapist had demonic control over their patients' sex lives, social lives, how they earned or spent money. Much of their income was swallowed up in dues, fines, and quote-unquote assessments owed to the Institute, and how they raised or usually didn't raise their children. The commune was overrun by snakes, financial exploitation, physical and sexual abuse, child neglect, and mushrooming paranoia. The Sylvanian Institute encapsulates one of the greatest themes of the 20th century, the tendency of utopian projects of social liberation to take a total wow, I can't even say that, take a totalitarian turn, end quote. So yeah, that was pretty powerful. I mean, it's like it seems amazing at first, and then all of a sudden you realize they have complete control over you, as one would have in a cult. So back to the roundtable, I want to play a quick clip of Keith Newton, again, the filmmaker and son of Saul Newton. He discusses the first episode of the docuseries that centers a bit around his mother, who, in my opinion, is in some denial about the Sullivan Institute being a bad thing. I mean, clearly... You know, as parents, we we do what we think is right. We do the best we can. And it was just so obvious to me that um, his mother, Helen, was not not really uh, fully understanding the effect that it had on on children and, you know, what it actually was. So um, after Keith speaks, someone else jumps in named Artie, who was a part of the cult, and he was an adult, so he chose to be in the cult, and he was a subject um, in the documentary. He jumps in and just kind of adds the fact that they weren't sure that Keith Newton could pull this off, um, interviewing his mom and, and doing this documentary diplomatically. The conflict between me and Helen, my mother, plays out over the, the whole series is indicative of the conflict between alternate versions of reality. Or you could say it's like truth versus lies, truth versus falsehood, but I think that's oversimplifying it. It's really that different people want to tell different stories about the past and about their own lives, and those stories come in conflict with each other. and. My mom and I have the sort of central version of that, but different, you know, subjects, different characters across the series have versions of that in their own way, either with, um, you know, in their relationships, family relationships that, you know, were so complicated by the group itself or for themselves. Like some people are, you know, sort of in conflict with themselves about which version of their own lives they sort of want to hold on to um, and is, it feels most true to them. Um, and I think that you know, we really tried to, in this first episode, set up the reality that the fourth wall was this idealistic, liberating place at first, you know, and a lot changed over time, but we felt like it was really important to establish that because I think that um, informs people's experience over all these years where they debate in their minds, you know, was this good, was this bad, did I, was I completely coerced to join this or did I choose it of my own free will um, and all those things, you know, or con constant negotiation over time. So, you know, I think both, you know, the, the <clears throat> former members who were adults in that time, Amy and Artie, I think can speak to that idea about, you know, like Karen, who doesn't 
appear in, in this episode, but whose story um, we, we start to dive into in the second episode, and Jesse's as well, you know, I think have versions of that too in, in, in very different ways. Um, not only do people debate it in their minds, but uh, many of us have stayed friends with each other after the group ended 30 years ago. And I'm still close friends with many of, many of my roommates from way back in the uh, 1980s. And um, one of the questions in our discussion about the film, uh, most of whom, uh, most of the men haven't seen it, but was the, the question was whether Keith was going to be able to deal with uh, how people have felt about his mother. And uh, it was like, can he do it, can he not? <laughs> I mean, it was almost like people were taking bets. You know? <laughs> Okay, so that was Keith Newton and another subject in the documentary named Artie. So again, the fourth wall docuseries, it just premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. I only saw the first episode, so stay tuned to see where you can watch the whole docuseries. I will keep everyone posted because it's not streaming yet. It's probably going to be um, a few more months before it streams, but I just wanted to get everybody psyched for this because I'm psyched. I am so fascinated. And everybody sitting at that table, uh, the subjects, I mean, their stories seem so, so interesting and just fascinating. And I I really can't wait to um, to hear about them. And, and again, I know I said this before, but all these people are just so well adjusted and just um, it seems like they've really come to terms and, and come to grips on, you know, how they grew up and how it was just wrong. So um, anyway, I will keep everyone posted through this podcast and my social media at Lauren underscore interviews about when the fourth wall is coming out and where you can watch it. Okay, so part two of this podcast will get a little bit lighter. Um, Sebastian Maniscalco, the, the comedian, has a new film out called About My Father. I, I haven't seen it yet. I heard it's pretty funny, um, but I interviewed David Rasha, who plays Bill, his uh, father-in-law or future father-in-law in the film, but most of you know him as playing Carl Muller in Succession. Um, so let's waste no time and get to my chat with this stud. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain, but it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hi, 
How are you, David? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you as well. Are you are you in beautiful, sunny California or New York City? Tell me where you live. I right now am up near Great Burns in Massachusetts, about uh, two two hours north of the city. Oh, so funny coincidence. I came out to my parents' house in New Hampshire for Father's Day weekend. So here we are. We're neighbors. Oh, oh very <laughs> nice. Yeah, not so far. Yeah, no. Um, generally, we live in, in Manhattan, but I uh, my kids were done school and they didn't start camp. And so I'm here pretending like they're not mine um, while my parents swim with them. So it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a lovely feeling, isn't it? It is such a good feeling because you know they're in good hands. <laughs> um, but David. Yes, and, they're, and they're not there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that too, that too. Let's, but uh, Let's be honest. Yep. Yep. Now, David, you, um, you know, I, I spent a, a good portion of time yesterday, just kind of doing a little deep dive on you. Um, and you are just like, you have been acting for a very long time and you're not even that old, which is, it's kind of amazing. Um, so I really commend you for that. You've, you've, you've made it, man. Well, I don't know about that. No one, I guess, ever really feels that that's the case, you know, because there's mm. always uh, another challenge that lies ahead. But I've been very lucky. And as you know, and let's just be honest, 99% <laughs> of life is luck, mm. right? So all those people, you know, all those pull, pull yourself out by your bootstraps, you know, that's just not true. It's just right. I was very lucky. I, I happened to have been in this movie, and I knew Jesse Armstrong from uh, – from, um, uh, in the loop, this movie in the loop, Armando yes. Iannucci, and and he remembered me, and he said, "Oh, you got to be on the show," and so he brought me on. And, you know, it's just a bunch of coincidences, uh, but I'm very, very grateful. And uh, you know, in the same thing, I mean, I was I'm doing, I did this movie about my father, Robert mm. De Niro and Sebastian Maniscalco, which has just just come out, and uh, also luck. You know, the producers knew me from this and that and they called me up and said would you do it so you know it, you know uh, uh, there's a lot of calls you don't get um sure. but uh so anyway it's uh, I've, I've been very 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 fortunate in my life you are very humble i think uh, i think you need to give yourself a little more credit because look i mean there is let's 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 just put it out there there's a reason they call you, right? Maybe, maybe it just so happens like, oh, you know, David, you know, he could do it. Let's, let's call him. Well, they're calling you because you're good, yeah, because you're talented and you're capable. So um, never forget that. that. Okay. But wait, <laughs> but wait, it could have been something else. You know, I've been in a bunch of things that are just horrible. They called okay. me for those too. <laughs> and so why, why this one? I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty mysterious the way things work and, and why, anything happens is it's just so completely mysterious to me yeah right yeah no i hear you that know? i hear that um so i haven't yeah, seen I mean, all of a sudden i mean they just happen to be this happen to be this constellation of people of <laughs> wonderful people you know i wasn't responsible for that these wonderful writers gathered together and everybody on this project on this on succession and the same thing with the, about my father were just at the top of their game and it's really unusual uh, yeah. And and why it happened, I don't know. I just, it's really, I'm very, very fortunate and very grateful to uh, uh, to be there. I, I love your outlook, though. I really do. You've got a, you really do have a, um, 
a very cool demeanor about you, I gotta say. And and I do, I wanna talk about uh, succession. I mean, Carl, I'm like obsessed with you. I'm Carl and Frank, like power couple, but I know that we do need to, I do need to get to about my father because that, that is out uh, on Amazon Prime, available to stream as of June 16th, which is actually today, I believe. So people can stream it. And I'm gonna be one of those people because I haven't seen it yet. Well, let me tell you, mm. uh, if I, I didn't really know, I wasn't that familiar with the Sebastian Maniscalco until um, I was going to do this movie, and I fell in love with him. I mean, mm. this guy, I, I don't have to tell you, I mean, he's, I, I think in a, in a kind of a way, you know, he's not, he's, he's a little bit under the radar. I mean, mm -hmm. he does sell out Madison Square Garden three nights in a row, right. but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's not... Um, you know, he's not uh, George Carlin. You don't know him like, mm. and with that kind of notoriety. I think you will. Mm. Uh, and the fact that he wrote this movie, he's not a writer, and the fact that he starred in it, he's not an actor, it's uh, it's it's remarkable. So if you like Sebastian Maniscalco, or if you're Italian, mm -hmm. you should, or if you like De Niro, you should see this movie. It's really funny. It's not, and it's it's funny without being smutty. How is that possible? Oh. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know, but it's really, really funny. It's just delightful okay. and very heartfelt. You know, it's well, not its not a manipulative, you don't look at it and go, oh, now I know what they're doing. It's uh, really, uh, really heartfelt. Okay, because I, you know, I've been a big fan of Sebastian Maniscalco for years now. I'm a, I love how physical oh. he is with his comedy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you working with him, you're probably like, dude, how do you do that? How does your body like contort? And how do you shake your shoulders and your head without getting whiplash? I mean, I'm just assuming he does that in the movie because yeah. that's what he does on stage. Well, you know, he, the, the, the movie is really taken from his life Yeah. because he is, I mean, I play the rich dad and uh, Robert De Niro plays the, the, poor, the poor dad. Mm -hmm. And um, I, Leslie Bibb is my rich daughter and my, uh, Sebastian is the poor guy for <laughs> the poor son. Okay. And uh, it, he actually did, he married into uh, the family of a billionaire. So here oh. is this guy from nowhere, Chicago. And so he has to learn how to live at, with the rich people. And that's what this movie's about. How this poor schmuck, Italian schmuck, <laughs> um, managed to navigate uh, the, the, the traps and pitfalls of rich people. Okay, so uh, and it's really and, and De Niro's okay. never been better. He is just yeah. You know, there was it's like you know I'm from Second City. I've done a lot of comedy. Uh, Brett Byer from Jane the Virgin. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Sebastian, I mean, um, uh, Anders Holm from the Comedy Channel. Who's the funniest guy? De Niro. Huh. He's he's just he was just he stays a mugging. He's a clown. He was delightful. Absolutely. I never, I never had more fun working with anybody. With than De Niro? With okay. I'm sure, I'm sure that's no surprise. Well, I mean. And he's the best. I don't know. I, uh, David, I, so, okay, wait. I'm, I, De Niro, I, I have thoughts about him just from personal red carpet experiences and whatever. So I'm like, eh, I'm sure he's lovely to work with, but I don't know. On the carpet, I know it's, well, a, it's a tough place, but I'm like not super impressed. But anyway. Um, it's it's a tough place for him, but you got to figure. Yeah. I mean, you know, he like how many films has he done? Two hundred. Oh God! 300? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Right. He's done publicity for all of them. Yeah. And besides that, 
he he's not a glad handing guy. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. he just is not. He he really he's he's kind of a quiet guy. Right. I I mean, I don't know if he's shy, but he just is not he's not a, a I'm trying to think of who. I don't know. He's just not a big uh, a show off of, hey, hi. Yeah. No, I, oh, I get that. He's, he's, I mm-hmm. I yeah, get that. So. I, I do. And I, anyway, I, no, yeah, I, yeah. I respect that. And I, I totally understand. Like he, <laughs> he's Robert De Niro, right? Like he doesn't have to be a certain way. He's freaking Robert De Niro. So, it's you know, but it's not that it's because it's not that he doesn't have to be. It's who he is. Yeah. He just isn't uh, a, uh, uh, a, he's not a, an extrovert in that way. Mm. You know, he's much more introvert. And so, uh, and besides that, as I said, he's done like 500 movies. How would you be like, so how did you feel doing this part? Oh, okay, Jesus and by the way, I don't ask that. I purposely don't talk like that because I, I know you guys hate that. So I don't talk, I don't do that. No, no, but it's got to happen. It's got, no, but it doesn't matter. It's got to happen. It's in, in a kind of a way, it is the same questions and stuff, but that's, yeah. you know, it's like people don't know. So, and then mm-hmm. the, same, the next person has the same question because they don't know either. So oh, you are, you're spot on. You are anyway, spot on. Think, think what you want, but he is, he's just the greatest actor I've ever, ever Aww. been near. He's That's, the greatest. Yeah, I love, really I great. do love hearing that. And Kim Cattrall plays your wife. Mm-hmm. Is that right? She was terrific as well. We really had a great, a great chemistry between us. And she was, I think she added a kind of a warmth, you know. I mean, it's pretty yeah. funny. And Sebastian is always being wry and sarcastic. <laughs> and De Niro is, uh, you know, being his cranky self. And she adds uh, a, a um, an element of softness and Aww. reality and, and sort of love uh, to the whole thing. So she her, her contribution was really necessary for this movie. Okay, I'm I'm excited to see it now. And then just because I, I have to wrap this up, I do want to ask you, I I had interviewed Rob Yang a few weeks ago, um, also from Succession. And I just said, like, like, I mean, I'm like, are you happy it's over? Are you relieved? Are you sad? And he, you know, he kind of said it, it was time for Succession to end. And, and I don't know if you feel the same, but I'm just curious. You, you interviewed who? Rob Yang. Oh, yes. yes yeah. Yes, yeah. Rob, yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, um, I don't think it's hit anybody yet, mm. right? It's still kind of live for everybody. And, uh, the whole cast together, Nick Braun, who plays Greg, the cousin Greg, he had everybody, um, over to, he owns a bar and we all went to the back room of this bar. We watched the final episode together. Fine. And so that was a really nice to be sort of shoulder to shoulder with everybody mm. but i think it's going to dawn on everybody you know it's, it's sort of i mean here i am doing an interview with you so it's still alive a little bit right but, you know that will go away too <laughs> yeah and, and then and then uh i mean it is and it isn't i mean it's sad because everybody misses everybody dearly i mean we it was a wonderful group of people and um you just can't be together for all those years and not get close but of course um, it 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 just it just it had to end, and I think everybody's, you know, if it would have ended badly, right? If the last episode would have been stupid, or the yeah. last, um, you know, or the last, uh, you know, season would have been dumb. Yeah, everybody would have felt really bad, but everybody isn't. So it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of hard to be sad because you know that the right thing was done, the story was told the right way, and that's very gratifying for everybody. 
Well, I, I love you in that show. And I really, really have loved talking to you. You are so fabulous. I, I, I love our conversation. So thank you so much. Okay. Well, he was swell and made my job very easy because he was so chatty. And, um, I loved everything he said, except for, you know, Robert De Niro. I'm just not a huge fan of him. Um, I mean, I used to be, which is actually really sad. So I think his early work is amazing. Let me just put it out there. His early work is so good. And then I felt like he sort of took all these dumb roles. Like, I don't know. What was that bad grandpa? It was so stupid with Zac Efron. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're Robert De Niro. Don't just do something for the paycheck. Um, and then, you know, I, I did see him in Montauk once and he's not, you know, he's not, required to talk to you know a quote-unquote fan but he was just super rude and, and when I saw him at a restaurant and then uh when I did some work with George Whipple from New York one on the red carpet he just I don't know he couldn't be bothered but again he's been doing this forever I get it you know he's Robert De Niro but like also why walk the carpet if you don't want to talk to anybody and you just want to do your thing anyway this wasn't supposed to be like a, a De Niro a hit piece or anything <laughs> um I'm just saying I get it but I can't help myself that I kind of change my my mind a little bit about him but anyway um thanks for listening if you like this podcast don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple and until next time we'll be back next week 